Father, uh, we do thank you once again, Lord, that we can gather together in your name. And, and God, I do pray, I pray that as we, as we approach your word, that we would maintain that, that spiritual, that worshipful heart. And God, that we would worship you in your word and, and we would allow your word, God, to penetrate deep within us, to change us, to bring us into that place where, Lord, where we need to be sitting at your feet and loving you and adoring you and serving you. So I do pray we wouldn't just have ears to hear or eyes to see, but Lord, our hearts would be pliable, moldable. And that God, when we get out of here today, that, that we would rejoice in the fact that our God has spoken to our, our, our inner man and Lord, that we're refreshed and renewed and ready, God, to serve you and ready to make you known to this world that we live in. So I pray that you would bless this time in a mighty way, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, chapter 26 begins the radical change now that we're looking at as we're studying the book of Matthew for a couple chapters and for us for a couple months. We've been looking at 25 and 20, I'm sorry, 24 and 25 and what they mean. And if you remember, Jesus was asked that question and I think it's important that we, we kind of go back to that. Remember, they were showed in the temple. He said the temple would be destroyed and then there was that question. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And he answered that in, in those two chapters. But remember, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives with 12 guys. It wasn't a classroom setting. It wasn't a, you know, a great discussion on eschatology, but it was Jesus pouring out his heart to these 12 guys. Now, I want I wa I want us to remember, I think in the beginning of this chapter, they're still on that mountainside. They're still at the Mount of Olives, and he's finished saying all these things, and now, listen, he brings them back to, re quote, to reality. He's been talking about his second coming, and now, listen, he's got to clarify things about his first coming. You can't have the second coming without the first coming, and some of you are going, well, duh, but you know what? You can't have the second coming without the cross. And Jesus is about to, once again, explain that to his disciples. And here's what we learn from that. Listen, from that, then we look at three different groups of people who are around Jesus at this time. You have those who hate him and despise him and want to do away with him. Then you have one who loves him unconditionally and pours out everything she has for him. And then you have one who's a betrayer one who's been posing, pretending, walking alongside everybody else, acting like everything was okay. And I guess there's a question, we gotta figure out which group we're in. And we need to be real about it, we need to be honest about it. Now, I don't think there's too many in here today who absolutely hate Jesus. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think you'd be in here if you absolutely despised him unless somebody drug you in here and then praise God they did that. But. I think for the most part, though, we may have the others. And we need, to, we need to listen and learn, and we need to get to the place, listen, where we can be honest before God. You don't have to be honest in front of me or in front of anybody else, but you need to be honest before God. I look at this, and it's a critical time for them. 
And Jesus knows it's critical, and he knows he has to get those guys set for what they're going to face. And I think it's a critical time for us. We live in a, we live in a strange time, and, and, and listen, I think it, uh, in, in my mind, and I think this happens in every generation, and I think it even happens as you, as you get a little bit older, you start thinking things, and you think, man, this is a critical time to be alive. We have an opportunity to be world changers, and not world haters. So Jesus speaking to these, these guys on that hillside and he's asking them in some ways, what are you gonna do in the next couple days? So look at what he says, verse one, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now there's a lot of argument, is this Wednesday or Tuesday? I don't care. It drives me nuts when people want to argue those things to the nth degree. And if you want to argue it, you know what, argue it, and I'll even argue with you if you want. But it doesn't matter, here's what's going on. Jesus is sitting on that mountainside and here's what he told these guys. Two more days is the Passover. And after that, did you hear what he said? After that, the Son of Man must be crucified. Listen, he knows what's coming. And this is the third time he's told them he's gonna be crucified and it does this. Right over their heads. They don't get it because they're not listening. They're not hearing him. So let's talk for a moment because, you know, sometimes, sometimes when we go through a passage and I look at you guys and I see a lot of familiar faces, I think, well, everybody knows what the Passover is. And, and, you know, I forget, some people may not. You may not even understand. Maybe you've not been saved very long or maybe you've been saved a long time and you've not read through your Bible and, and not read those things. But Passover, Passover came out of the Old Testament. If you remember, Israel was in slavery in Egypt God delivered them out of the slavery and he delivered them by bringing 10 different plagues to them. And the last one was all of the firstborn children were, and, and all the firstborn, even of animals, were gonna be killed in one night. And the only way you could avoid that was to take a lamb, kill the lamb, take that blood and put that blood on your, on your door frame, your outside door frame, and you would be protected. Your children, your firstborn would not die that night. Now, it's interesting to me, I read some commentaries and they said that was only for the Jews. I believe anybody who put the blood on their doorposts that night, their firstborn were saved. But that was the beginning of what's called the Passover, why the death passed over them. And then God told them, from now on, on this day of the month, you celebrate that and you get a lamb, you slaughter that lamb, and then you, you have this feast celebrating the fact that God passed over everyone and Israel would celebrate it. Now, now here's what's kind of crazy. If you read the Old Testament, they missed a lot of Passover celebrations. Then they went into captivity and for 70 years. Then they come back, and they were much more diligent about doing it. As a matter of fact, Josephus, a historian, says during the first century, when they would celebrate Passover, that 250,000 lambs would be, uh, would be uh, slaughtered and sacrificed on that day. That's a lot of sheep. Now, Here's what really blows my mind though. You needed a minimum of 10 people per lamb to have the feast. So that tells me that there were like 
2.5 million people in Jerusalem for those feast days. Imagine how crowded it was. And just imagine the, the excitement that was generated with that. Are you, are you kind of with me, man? Imagine you're in Jerusalem, and especially people who didn't get there much, and you're celebrating the Passover, and there, there's all of this buzz and excitement. And, you know, they had all of that without Facebook, without Instagram, without all of that. And it's just like there had to be this huge buzz going around. And there's people camped all over. They're camping on the Mount of Olives. They're camping in the Kidron Valley. You can't put that many people you know you don't have ends for that and they're everywhere so kind of kind of get that in your mind so these guys know listen they didn't they weren't surprised when he says two days and the Passover but what shocked them was we're going to celebrate the Passover and then the son of man will be crucified and they have to process that now Matthew now takes the camera right he's the director watching a movie, he takes the camera and he pans and he goes over to a certain part of Jerusalem where the wealthy people hung out. Some say they even had some mansions up there upwards of 15,000 square feet. That's big in today's standards, right? You think back then, wow, right? So listen what's going on as we go over to that part of town. We leave the Mount of Olives, we go over there, and it says in verse 3, then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. So his palace, listen, this guy lived in a palace. Now, if you're living that kind of life, you want to protect that kind of life. And so they're all coming together. Now, here's what, here's what bothers me about this, is we're, we're reading the chief priest, the elders, the scribes, and the high priest. Who does that represent? That represents the religious leaders of Israel, the Jewish people. These are what some would call the holy people. And they're gathered together. Now, you would think holy people are going to gather together and talk about holy things, right? Talk about good things. Look at, they've come together, and it says they were at his house, verse 4, and they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. So what were they doing? These religious leaders are trying to figure out how they can kill Jesus. They've tried to kill him a few times, and they couldn't get it done, right? God didn't allow, it to do, allow them to do it. So they're coming up, they're scheming on a way, how can we get this guy and finally get him out of, what? I, th I think, listen, I think Caiaphas, Caiaphas had the most to lose. Jesus has already disrupted his whole, his whole temple business, right? He came in and turned over the money changers, did all of that. So he's got that disrupted. He's got a lot to lose. If you read through the New Testament, it's always interesting to me, those people who went after Jesus the hardest were the people who had the greatest wealth and the most to lose. Herod, right? Go back and read, man. All the Herod family beginning with Herod the Great. He wanted to kill him. Why? He had the most to lose. If this guy is born and this guy comes, I'm going to lose everything. Caiaphas has the most to lose. So they're scheming together. And then they say this. Here's what I love. Look at verse 5. But they say, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Oh. What did Jesus just say? It's going to happen during the feast. What did they just say? Not during the feast. 
It's interesting, they plotted to kill him several times and they couldn't kill him because it wasn't God's time. Now they're plotting not to kill him and they're gonna kill him because it's God's time. God wins every time and they're not wanting to do it. Now it does make sense, hey, if you have an increase of population five times your normal population, five to six times your normal population, number one, that, that just causes that buzz that I'm talking about and people are on edge and people are ready, people are ready to go off at any moment. Have you ever noticed how crazy it can get with a crowd in just an instant? Somebody does something, somebody says something, something happens and man, so they're, listen, they don't want to upset Rome. They don't want anything to happen. And most of the people who have come are from Galilee. What happened in Galilee in the last couple years? There was this guy walking around healing people, feeding people, walking on water, delivering people from demons. Hey, the people in Galilee love Jesus. Maybe for some of the wrong reasons, but they loved him, man. He healed the sick. He gave them lunch. Can you imagine hanging out on a hillside and watching 15,000 people eat from two loaves and a couple fish? That would be insanity. So here's what they know, man. If we go after him now, we're going to cause this huge riot. So that's that scene. So we have Jesus on the Mount of Olives. We have the, the, the holy people in a holy huddle. That's what I like to call it. In their little holy huddle, figuring out how they're gonna get Jesus. And then, listen, now this next section, we go back a few days. Remember, Matthew's not really concerned with keeping everything chronological and, and everything in order chronologically. Matthew's writing thematically. His is about themes, and the theme he's dealing with is how are people treating Jesus and how are people feeling about Jesus? So he backs up a few days. I think, I think what we're gonna read 6 through 13, I think happened on Sunday. We're Tuesday or Wednesday now. Not, not Sunday here, but you know their time frame. Somebody goes, really? It happened this morning? So, right? So, it happened a while back. And then it says in verse 6, when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So now we get a picture of something entirely different going on. And he's at Simon the leper's house. Now, if you read, you can read John chapter 12 and, and Mark, I think it's Mark chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, or 14. So you can check those out. But you get the same story and you get a little bit more information. Simon the leper obviously was somebody that Jesus healed of leprosy, wouldn't you agree? Because if he still had leprosy, Jesus wouldn't be going to his house and he wouldn't be having a big dinner. So I, I, think, I think we know that. But you have this guy, Simon the leper, they're in Bethany, and we know that Jesus hung out in Bethany with Mary and Martha and this guy named Lazarus, right? He hung out there a lot. So John tells us this is Mary doing this. And Mary is the one who has this, this perfume. There's another time where they're at another guy's house named Simon, who another lady uh, comes and worships him in a similar manner, but that's different. This is, this is right before he's getting ready to die, the Sunday before he's gonna die. And he goes to this dinner. Now, I think there were at least, at least 17 people at this dinner. That's a pretty big dinner, right? You got Simon the leper, 
Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus, and the 12. So they're hanging out at this dinner, and, and just imagine this scene for a moment. Oh, and John tells us that she's at his feet. I challenge you, read, read, read for homework, read these passages, Luke chapter 10, John chapter 11, and John 12. Every time you see Mary, and she's mentioned in Scripture, you know where she's at? The feet of Jesus. She's always at his feet. She's always worshiping him. Hey, in Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 10, she comes in that place and she comes with that heart of worship. And, and listen, as she's there at his feet, she's, she's, she's found blessing and, look, and blessing him and listening to his teaching. And then in, in, in Luke chapter 10, in John chapter 11 is when she comes and falls on his feet and she needs, desperately needs Jesus because her brother's dead. And then in John chapter 12, she's worshiping. Here's something interesting. Read those passages for homework. And here's what you're gonna see. Every time Mary is at the feet of Jesus, she's misunderstood. Interesting. You see, because I correlate that, hey, when we get really serious with our walk with God, people misunderstand us. And the ones who misunderstand us the most are the ones we're around who are in the walk with us. I have found when I take, when I take some, some serious moves for God, it's not the world who gets upset with me, it's brothers and sisters. And they're going, why are you doing that? What's the matter with you? Getting a little fanatical, Pat. And I've always been kinda, I'm, I'm a guy who's, I'm usually all in. I'm either all out or all in. And listen, man, this is Mary, and she's at the feet of Jesus now, and she takes this costly, listen, he says she takes this, this, this costly alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. It's a perfume, and, and, and a lot of people say, hey, these flasks were made and then sealed up, and the only way you could get into it is break it, break it open, break the neck off, and you begin to use it. John tells us, I think it's John, maybe Mark, that it's worth 300 denarii. That's almost a year's wages. That's a lot. I know, ladies, a lot of you spend a lot on perfume. I don't think too many of you spend a year's wages on a bottle of perfume. Depends on what your wages are, I guess, but I don't think too many do that, right? And so this was special. I mean, do you get the value for her? Not just value monetarily, but if you have something that valuable, it's special to you. And you hold it dear. And she took this moment and she broke that jar and she began to pour it out. Somebody asked me, do you think it's frankincense? And I don't think it's frankincense because frankincense was expensive, but not like this. It wasn't this. This was something special. And she breaks it. And, 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 and in Matthew, it says that... that uh, that she poured it on his head as, she sat, as he sat at the table. John tells us she put it on his feet. I think she put it from head to foot. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But I want you to think about something because I think this is important. When she broke that bottle and she began to pour it out, can you imagine what that room smelled like? Can you imagine how beautiful that aroma was? Saints, that's what worship is supposed to look like. When we worship, it's supposed to be a sweet aroma that fills up a room, 
that fills up an entire room. And, and I see that. And, and everybody, listen, everybody is being affected by Mary's worship. And it's permeating that room. And, and, then, and then I love, because John tells us she took and she wiped her hair with it. And from that day for several days, maybe weeks, she had that aroma of worship about her. Every place Mary went, oh, Mary, you smell so good. Yeah, because I've been worshiping Jesus, that's why. And how, I mean, just get a, just kind of think about that for a moment and just sit in that and, and it's like, oh, what a time. What an experience. What a blessing to be part of that. And then, listen, and then, and then here's the 12, not too cool. Sometimes I wonder why these guys were chosen. Right? You kind of go, wow, and then you realize that's us, right? Verse 8, but when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Now, John tells us that, that Judas was uh, the instigator of this, but they're all involved. Listen, we can, uh, Judas is definitely, definitely in this scene, but they're all involved. Why are we doing this? Why this waste? Why is this? Can't you hear him talking? I, you know, it always bothers me when there's that mumbling going on, and it even bothers me more when the mumbling's going on, and I walk up, and it's... I think, huh, what were we just talking about? Nothing, nothing. But these guys, yeah, thank you, thank you. I know. So, but listen, man, they're doing this, and, and they're just like doing this, and they're, they're saying, what a waste. Now, in, in verse, verse 9, for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Oh, that sounds so spiritual. Doesn't that sound, oh, we're spiritual. What's the matter with that Mary? Once again, Mary's misunderstood, huh? When she's sitting at the feet and listening to Jesus, Martha is all mad, right? Why does Mary get to sit and I have to cook, cook, clean, cook, clean? And she says, that happens. So listen, man, now these guys are on her. Oh, and, and they're trying to spiritualize it. And here's what I think. I, I'm going to be honest. Here's what I think. I think they wish they would have thought of that. So they try and spiritualize their jealousy and their envy, right? So they spill that, and then, and then I love it, man. Verse 10, but when Jesus was aware of it, here's the thing, they weren't talking to Jesus, and they weren't telling him how they felt. They were talking amongst themselves, and Jesus knew what they were saying. It's always a big bust. When people are thinking something or trying to keep it from Jesus, and he busts them out, right? So Jesus looks at them. I love it, man. When Jesus became aware of what they were saying, here's what he said. Why are you bagging on this woman? Like, lighten up, guys, right? What is the matter with you? Listen, don't try and minimize that. What are you troubling her for? She's doing the right thing. And you guys, you guys were all around me. And you've been around me for three and a half years. And three times I've told you I'm going to go be crucified. And you haven't gotten it yet. Hey, do you remember six months ago when we were up at Caesarea Philippi? And I said, who do they say that I am? And you guys were chattering and saying everything. And then I asked, who do you say that I am? And you, Peter, you were the one that stood up and said, hey, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And I told you then I was going to be crucified. And I just told you I was going to be crucified. And none of you got it. Mary got it. Because listen what Jesus says. He says, listen, don't, do, don't, don't, don't trouble the woman, for she has done 
a good work for me, for you will have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrance oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Mary heard him. Mary knew what was coming. And they missed it. She did it for my burial. You guys have to understand. And then, man, I love, I love it because Jesus, listen, Jesus corrects them. Because sometimes we do something to make ourselves look spiritual when we're not doing it for the right reason. Oh, I should be feeding the poor. Now, here's what we know. Jesus says, hey, you can have the poor with you always. He's not saying we shouldn't take care of the poor. He's already, he's already talked to us about that back in chapter 26. Jesus isn't saying, hey, just ignore the poor and pour oil on people, pour expensive. No, he's not saying that. What is he saying? There's a time and place for everything. And there's a time to, hey, there's a time to minister to the poor and the sick and the hurting and the needing. There's a time to do in-depth Bible study. There's a time to do all of these things that we talk about. But every day, every moment is a time to worship Jesus. And she's worshiping Jesus, and here's what she's saying. In the midst of all of that that's going on, I can still minister in the midst of that, and my ministry begins by loving Jesus. And she's letting everybody know, and Jesus is letting everybody know, hey, I think we should be feeding the poor. I think we should be. But you know, greater than that, we should be giving ourselves to God. Not just part of us, all of us. You see, once we give ourselves entirely to the Lord, then he can begin to radically change the world around us through us. But as long as we hold back, you know, I get, I get a little bit bummed in our culture. We give out of affluent. You know, and some of you go, I'm not that affluent. Yeah, you are compared. You know, and I don't want to lay the whole trip on, you know, third world thing, but we're pretty affluent. And we give out of that affluence. Have you given, have you ever given God everything? I know some of you have. But Mary gave him everything she had. And when we come to the Lord and we give him everything, listen, when we come to that place where we're not gonna hold back, we're not gonna, we're not gonna well, Lord, you can have this much, but I'm giving this much because I need this much. Give it to him. I've, I've joked many times, people ask, us, ask me sometimes how much should they give, and I tell them my answer is everything. And I, I firmly believe that. Now, I'm not saying that because we need money. I'm saying that because that's gonna free you up. And here's what else I know. Jesus is letting him know something very important. We're always going to have poor. We're always going to have sick people. We're always going to have people in pain and suffering and all of those things. They're always, listen, they're always going to be there. And if we can't walk with him in the midst of that and worship him in the midst of that and do the ministry in the midst of that, we lose sight of everything. We're just social workers. And we need to change lives. And here's what else I know. One bottle of oil, no matter how costly it was, was not going to solve the, the, the poverty of Israel at that time. It's not. So Jesus lays out, listen, he lays out a thing and a principle that all ministry begins 
at the feet of Jesus. And when we leave the feet of Jesus to do ministry, then we're effective, then we're powerful, then we get things accomplished. So he lets them know that. And then, verse 13, assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Here we are, 2,000 years later, right? 2019. And we're talking about who? Mary. Halfway, just about halfway around the world, and we're talking. Here's what Jesus said, hey, people are gonna be talking about this till I come back. Now for the third character. And I think now we move from that Sunday back to that Tuesday when they're on the mountainside. And they've been discussing things, and I think that's why in verse three, we went from the scene with Jesus with his, his 12 to the scene of, of Caiaphas and what was going on at his house, and somebody got up and left that crowd with Jesus and the 12, and verse 14 says, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Wow. Do you kind of get chills when you read that? Because here's what's crazy. Mary approaches Jesus with this heart and this attitude. What can I give you, Lord? Judas approaches Jesus. What can you give me? And again, I think a lot of modern American Christianity teaches what's in it for me? What can I get from Jesus? It's supposed to be what can I give Jesus? And it doesn't matter. Listen, listen. I think it's important to budget, and we do Dave Ramsey here and stuff, and I think it's important to do that. But listen, your giving to God shouldn't be a line item on your budget sheet. If it's just a line item that you're doing and this is what I give to God, man, you've lost. It's supposed to be worship. You're supposed to be loving him as you're doing that. And listen, when Judas has gotten into it's mechanical and he's doing that and what's in it for me, now he goes to these chief priests, he goes, how much will you give me? What will you give me? What will you give me to deliver him? Because I can do that. Now that's even kind of scary, right? He knows he can do that. And so it tells him, and they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver, according to Zechariah chapter 11, was exactly the amount that was gonna be paid to betray the Messiah. God had already prophesied that. And Jesus had nothing to do with that and he's fulfilling that prophecy. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver according to Exodus and I don't have that passage so you have to read the whole book of Exodus. 30 pieces according to Exodus was what you paid when somebody's slave was gored and you you had to pay for that slave, you paid 30 pieces of silver. Now, I don't know what this 30 pieces of silver, I don't know what the value of it is in today's standard. Some people told me some things, but here's the interesting thing. It's not necessarily, uh, we don't know exactly what they're talking about when they're talking about 30 pieces of silver. It could be 30 small pieces of silver or 30 larger pieces of silver. So, I, I, you know, putting a value on it, but here's what I know, it's nowhere near what Mary brought to him, and Judas is taking, and, and everything I read said it was, kind of a, it was kind of a small amount, wasn't a lot. And Judas is willing to sell out his relationship with the Lord for not much. 
What are you willing to sell out your relationship with the Lord for? New car? New house? Better standard of living? This comes down to that. It got real quiet. Comes down to that, doesn't it? 30 pieces of silver. And we have to think in our own lives, all of us, all of us, we have to think, what, what, can I be bought? And I'm not saying we're gonna betray him. I'm talking about our relationship with him. What comes between us and the Lord in our, in our, in our living out this life that really isn't much? And Judas says, yeah, I'll take that. Look, it says, he says in verse 16, yeah, more or less. And so from that time, he sought for an opportunity to betray him. Now, here's what kind of blows my mind is he's ready to do this. And he's ready to do it that quickly. And, and here he is, man, he's gonna deliver. And he says, man, from that moment, he looked for that opportunity. It blows my mind, number one, he had that kind of relationship. And read the, read the book of John. In just a few hours, Jesus is gonna be washing his feet. It's insane, isn't it? And Judas was so quick, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it, it's 30 pieces of silver. Hmm, bummer, major bummer. So today, we need to examine our own hearts, every one of us. Because as I read my Bible, Judas did not stand out as that guy. Oh, people knew he was kind of dipping into the till, right? Because when he said this, according to John, when he got all upset about the, about the perfume, they said he said that because he was kind of taking money out. Now, there are people who try and defend Judas, and that, that bums me out. There are people who say, well, you know, Judas, actually, the reason he did it is he's kind of trying to draw out Jesus to make him the Messiah, and he felt if he went to them and started this ruckus that Jesus would really, I don't think so. And they make all these excuses. Bottom line, I believe Scripture shows us Judas was a poser, a pretender, Oh, he liked being around Jesus for what he could get from him, but he didn't worship him from his heart. He didn't have that heart attitude. Mary, on the other hand, crazy Mary, right? Some of us go, I don't know if I can be that extravagant. Well, you know, one of my prayers is when I grow up, I wanna be like Mary. I wanna be that. I'm not saying I'm there, but I wanna get there. I want to work at doing that. And I surely don't want to be like the chief priests and the elders. So now we're hitting the final hours of Jesus' life in our study. We'll be there for a while. But I think this is a great place to start. Where are you in your relationship? Let's stand up and pray.